Hello, and welcome to another episode of Flail Forward, the podcast about game design and, well, mostly about amateurism, but we also talk about game design every once in a while. Uh, I am Fred, your occasional and ostensible host, um, and I have with me today Catrice. Hello. And Jonathan. Hey, guys. I mean, folks. (laughs) And Mark. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Internet people. And Rob. Hello. Uh, and, hey, and Cavoir. Hello, Cav. Sorry. <laughs> there he is. Okay. Best Are you introductions So, yeah, Cavoir just dropped in. All right, so we're all here. Um, and tonight we're going to be talking about uh, play testing and best practices for doing so, and I thought I would let Mark talk about it because he suggested it, and he seems to have something to say about it. <laughs> I do. Um, so I've I've play tested my game before, um, and I'm right now working on sort of a new iteration of it. Um, and from some of the play tests that I've done before, I tried kind of making uh, questionnaires, asking questions about what the play experiences was like, what people thought of it. Um, but I found that um, in some of the cases, people just left some of the questions blank and didn't give an answer, or um, there, there wasn't necessarily the most representational. It didn't help me when I was looking back on it um, in terms of how to fix some of the problems or even just recognizing some of the problems in the game. Um, so I was going to ask you guys what uh, do you? How do you prepare for playtesting, and when do you? Um, how, how structured do you find it, or is it more just like this is sort of the game that I have at the time, and I'm going to run it and see where it breaks, or do you have sort of a goal in mind when you start playtesting and saying I want to look at character creation specifically, and then break that apart, and it's just your session in itself. So, um, yeah, I was going to leave it open to you guys. What, how do you start for your game? Well, hmm. uh, speaking from fairly limited experience of working with this game, uh, as with all things, I tend to just drop in with little um, prep and not many expectations and just see where that goes. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the best way to do it, but it's how I kind of run games. So I've always wanted to be able to go into it and not have to have a big... Uh, you know, big prep period or something like that, know that I can go into the game, you know, pretty much blind. Just be like, all right, we're going to play this thing now. Let's do it. Um, so. Uh, yeah, and I think that's that's um, probably one of the more comprehensive ways of just like, this is everything I have. Let's tear it apart and see where we get stuck. Um, I know that I've been psyching myself over it because I feel like there might not be enough of a game to play. Um, and I think Rob had a story of running one of his games where uh, you thought the game was more complete than it was, and you you started asking people to create characters, if I remember correctly, is this ringing a bell? And they didn't have the rest of the mechanics in place? Sound familiar to you, Rob? Oh, for me? Oh, I'm sorry. I I, I thought you were talking to Fred. Um... Yeah, it was just about I don't... one of your early, I think you had mentioned it before, where you, you had asked a bunch of your playtesters to mm-hmm. um, try to make characters, and mm-hmm. there just wasn't 
much in terms there of- were yeah there were some things that there were that, that highlighted what i i needed um at one point man that might have been really early on um where i was just just barely trying to get the game up and running i was just at that point where i could conceivably run it and mm-hmm. it it uh one of the things that 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 caused me to learn i suppose is that if your game's not complete enough when you play test it, your players will give you non-feedback. They will notice the things that aren't done and comment on them and tell you, and you like, you know they're not done and you're you're not that's not what you're aiming to test anyway. But you'll get a lot of feedback where that that isn't actually useful. Um and it, it creates a, a bad signal to noise ratio in that case. Um the so so yeah in in that way yeah i'm not i can't remember what your actual point was at this moment it's just uh about <laughs> when when do you when you think your game is ready i guess to play test like do you have a, a goal now that you went through this experience of like this is sort of what i'm oh. looking at, or like yeah yeah well at this point at this point i generally um am only looking to play test when i complete a specific chunk so i'll play test um for like two or three sessions um the longest one i did was five sessions um and that's like a campaign right so the characters are um created using the rules in the book they advance using the rules in the book um i don't i don't have to tell the players anything they can just read the material um that's always very helpful because it lets you know when stuff is unintuitive or if your writing is weak or confusing somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so your game and, is, is mostly complete at that stage then, right? Like you, you could run it almost without you being there. No, see, that's the thing. So the game master section and, and, and is the last part that I'm doing. Um, okay. Everything has been, I've been focusing on the, the player facing stuff up to this point to get it really into a good place. And then what I'm going to do is build the GM section out from that. Um, I mean, I, I already had an idea of what I wanted the GM section to be like, uh, but it was really important to me to not lay, not set anything in stone for the GM section while I was still changing things pretty radically for the players. Um, because then I'd have to change it just in two places rather than one. So I really wanted to get the player stuff to a point where I could run it, but nobody else could. Um, but people could could play it using just what I'd written and not having to explain anything else to them. Um, that's, that's kind of how my first playtest right. of my game went as well. It was just, this is everything that the players should need to know. And then mm-hmm. all the GM stuff I kept to myself. And that's kind of right, floating right. in my head. Exactly. But, um, I think that yeah. allowed people to give pretty good feedback um, in terms mm-hmm. of like what the the general rules would be or the the flow of the game um but uh, how how like confident were you in any of the mechanics like i know for for my game i needed to test out a lot of the like dice and uh the randomizing and all of that stuff right. before i actually got to the table at that point and i did all of that testing um by myself so it was sort of like running simulations and i could do that because i'm a bored engineer with matlab and i can just 
code right. things, but um, I guess how do you how did you find that that um, setup or the how process. did everyone else? Yeah, exactly. To get to that point, of, um, I'm confident. To in... get to that point was tricky. I mean, it was. I mean, so here's here's perhaps a little bit of irony. So I play tested it. Right, I thought the game was in a re in a pretty good place, and I started doing a, a quick start. Um, <laughs> in order to like take it to conventions and stuff and, and, and test play test it with a wider audience. And I took the, I put the quick start up, up on the uh, RPG design subreddit and it got completely shredded yeah. and for good reason. And I scrapped the entire mechanical core of the game at that point and started over. Uh, that was tough, hmm. but I think the game is a lot better for it at this point. Um, but playtesting didn't reveal it because mm -hmm. the problem with me being there at the table, even though the players are reading the material, if there's confusion, you just jump in instinctually, you know? Um, and when I didn't have the opportunity to demonstrate the rolling mechanic, it was pretty clear that it was just a little too esoteric. It was just a little too chunky. Um, so... I had to I had to retool it. I either either abandon it or 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 try and figure out a way to make it work. And I think I figured out a way to make it work. But um, the two playtests I've run since then have been fairly successful. But I haven't done a really wide or long playtest with with the new mechanics. Um, but I know that the math is coming out pretty much how I want. So that at least that part's set. Um, nice. It's great. Yeah. Um, it's, so it's, it's a tough process because you, you like you, you can write something and you can be sitting on it for like three or four weeks before anybody looks at it or tells you it's dumb. And yeah, so yeah. Sure. So the first time I play tested anything, um, which was still the cut to the chase, uh, it was um, not. I know I'm sure it was written down, but I can't find that written down thing but I didn't present it to anyone. We had some time and I said, Hey guys, like, let's do this. I, I got this thing and I'd like you to check it out. And so I just, um, talked, I just described what it was. And at that point it was sort of GM just so I GM'd them through the game. Right. And, uh, I kind of learned a couple of things. Um, I found it really slow and stale, uh, without any tension to play test. It was more of just like a, Hey, let's give it a try. Right. And so the first thing I learned was, um, you'll get out of it, what you put into it. So mm -hmm. prepare for a play test. I think that's worthwhile. Even if the idea of your game is to be low prep, um, but be prepared to do the play test. And the second thing I got out of it is happened like two months later. Uh, it wasn't really, I was kind of surprised that my experience wasn't the player's experience, who I didn't really talk to about that because they actually, you know, said they quite enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't talk to them about what their feedback was. Uh, so that was my first experience playtesting. And mm -hmm. uh, looking back on it, I'm like, you know, obviously, the, those two things are pretty important. But yeah. at the time, and again, not as any official playtest, 
um, it was different. But uh, it, I did rewrite the game, basically. And um, it, it, every time you do, I find, every time you put it in front of someone, excuse me, it gives you a, like a stepping stone um, yeah. To, yeah. To, to do the next thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think every every kind of fresh set of eyes on your design as well, it makes a big difference just in terms of people's different expect expectations and, and experiences that bring them to your game. Um, and I don't know, there's always something to learn from even people that have never played role-playing games before and having them sit down and look at your rules and see what what kind of experience would that get or what, what right. um, yeah. That's that's actually that's an interesting point because I my game is is not designed to be someone's first game. Mm. It's designed to be, I would say, probably a game for people who have more busy lives and don't want to bother with a lot of supplements and whatnot, or a lot of complicated mechanics. They can learn one thing and then maybe never even open the rule book again. Um, and so it, I, I didn't go in with the assumption that this would be somebody's first RPG. And that might be a mistake on my part. But I, it, it's hard for me to think of like somebody randomly picking up a fairly in-depth tactical battle storytelling game as their first choice. Like it just doesn't, it's not a gateway yeah. Thing like like they're coming to this through probably D and D. I mean that's that's a big one. Powered by the Apocalypse is another one. Uh, some people would be coming through it from like uh, White Wolf maybe, um, but I, I I don't see it being anybody's first RPG, and I, I didn't I didn't write it like that. Yeah, that's that makes sense. I I think um, what I've tried to do is be prepared for people to have it as their first game, because even, even in your game, like you might have someone um, who is experienced and who picked up um, ashes and is trying to play it for their, their group. And right. maybe they have someone new in that group. Um, mm -hmm. So even then it could be someone's first game and it might not be the intention, but uh, I think those people always bring an interesting perspective to your, your play test as well. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. And, I'm sorry. They're also needed for playtests. Yeah. Because one of the big things is um, if you have somebody that has played similar games before, they'll have preconceived notions of how things should be. And they can give you negative feedback in a sense that they'll tell you, oh, well, this is a terrible way to do it. I don't like it, but it's specifically because they're used to doing it another way. Whereas if you check with completely new players, you might have a near 100% uh, ratio of almost everybody loves it if it's the first time they've ever seen it. Yeah, but they also don't have anything to compare it to. So you have to be cautious in the other direction yeah, as well. Yeah, you have to be cautious with that. Yeah. But that's why you need like both of them. Yes. So, Kat, when, when you were running um, playtests of Seorsa, um, what were your experiences like? Um, a little 
over all over the place because I'm I'm more used to playtesting for video game design. So I'm it's a fair bit different of a setup for it. Like if you're in like video games like you have like your friends and family who test stuff, but then it's usually like professional testers. And it's usually something like you pay someone to uh, sit down and it's like, oh, there's this um, stretch of hallway, about three minutes worth of gameplay. Play this for eight hours straight <laughs> and find everything wrong with it. And that's a little bit different than what you get for playtesting in this. So uh, I think um, it is because it's not. It, there are big differences, but that I think there's some similarity there that's oh, worth, worth um, kind of grabbing onto. And that is uh, picking a thing to playtest. And Rob kind mm -hmm. of hit mm -hmm. on this a bit, uh, just about how he playtests after he finishes something. And for example, sitting people down, if you're fortunate enough to have a group that's willing to get together and just do character creation is a, a great play test. Um, yeah, it'll show you a lot about character creation, which is good, but it'll show you a lot about the rest of your game too, because they're going to have questions and they're going to interact in certain ways. And it's often, but not always the first um, introduction to the game. And so there's that, uh, part of the learning and you get to see how people interact with your game to start. So, but focusing on a spot uh, is really important uh, at, at some point, at some point you got to put it all out there, but focus play is important. Well, that's one of the things it, that I have found so far is give people an idea of what you're actually trying to test for. Like, don't give them more information than they need for what you're trying to do, if at all possible, so that they don't get bogged down in other details that aren't really relevant at the moment. Um, cover things like, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Like, I'm going to be covering, like, uh, character design, for example. So are you actually able to make the character you want to make? was one of the big things that I was interested in. Um, I wanted to... Hmm? Oh, no, I was going to say that it's a, it's a big deal to uh, separate both the like, mechanics and the flavor of it. Um, because you're right, like, did you get to make the character you wanted to make in the world is totally separate, I think, from did you make a mechanically sound character or one that works? Um, and yeah, that's a, yeah. a great point. It was a really big one, especially for mine, because it's supposed to be like really versatile and you can do almost anything within a fantasy setting. Like, yeah. there are some limitations on it, but yeah, it's because it has that versatility to it. It's like, if you can't make what you want to play, that's a bigger problem in this than in a lot of games, because a lot of games like if you're playing Shadowrun, for example, it's not that big of a deal if you can't make a character that is not a sh Shadowrunner, because that's kind of the, the whole premise of the game is that you're a Shadowrunner. Right. It's like you're basically like 
an elite mercenary unit if if you're not playing a character that fits into that then it doesn't really matter because you're not really playing the correct game at that point whereas mine's a lot more open than that so i really needed to know if people could actually do what they were trying to do what they wanted to do which is different than is it just something that fits within the universe or the setting or the mechanics um in general though like i found that giving people a rough idea of what i'm trying to accomplish with the playtest did make it a lot easier for them to give me useful feedback um i also found that it was really really important to have a mixture of some people who i walked through the process like a one-on-one -on -one session just let them ask me any questions they wanted while for other people to just basically throw them to the walls and see if they can figure it out on their own so you found that you had to do both and there wasn't a, a clear winner between the two of those no well you kind of need to have both because like if you walk someone through it you can get a real-time uh listing of what they're actually struggling with where their actual problems are what they understand and what what they don't um you get very clear specific information which is super helpful to you but if you do that you also don't learn if the information is actually clear enough on its own like is the phrasing of this actually useful enough that you could use it as a book for like just publishing it and okay i'm just gonna put this out there for people and can they actually play it if i'm not present like mm. you can't do that if you're helping them one-on-one -on -one. so right. you kind of need both yeah kevoir i know that you have uh strange experiences playtesting probably more than the rest of us um do you have anything you want to say about your experiences? Uh, depends on what you mean. Like, I've, I've played more games that were half-finished and I had to house-rule them to make them function. <laughs> <laughs> Does that count as playtesting? Uh, uh, technically? Yes. Yes. I, yeah, yeah, I was uh, counting that as playtesting. Yeah, uh, basically, make uh, if you're, if you're playtesting a game for someone else, uh, make sure you... you read you actually read the rules uh completely <laughs> i know that seems obvious but like double but uh yeah uh basically try to get into the if you want it if you want your house rules to have a consistent tone with what they're doing you have to make sure you know what the headspace of the person who's writing it is so you don't accidentally like change things so that they're more like how you would do it, even though that isn't the nature of the game. And it, the game will probably suffer for it in ways you don't anticipate if you do that. Uh, but this is just like advice for running playtests, so that it's not actually practical to this. Uh, in general, when I playtest, it's I get something that reset that has the basic structure. That, so like people who know what they're doing can like play the game. Is I I throw that at that I throw that at some people and see how it goes because that points out a lot of the major flaws 
that you that you'll encounter. Uh, but I rarely have them make like level one characters uh, unless I'm specifically testing player character creation and how character creation works because you generally get a better feel of the system uh, once they're part of the way in it. And in general, I have played a professionally made game that I'm not going to talk about too much here, but uh, that didn't do that where that fell apart in the mid and late game. And I feel like that's probably because most of the playtesters were directed to just do the original, just start from the beginning. And I feel like it's something you need to consider that you're that people will eventually play your mid and late game, hopefully, unless you really messed up. Mm. That's a good point, <laughs> Ketwar. That's uh, I, I mean, that's something I've noticed in a lot of published games uh, is that the they start strong, but then once the players have advanced to a particular point, the game either gets incredibly cumbersome or like very easy in a way. Uh, I mean, it's not competitive, so it's easy is not even the, really the right word, but like the players become so inundated with abilities and, and powers and stuff like that that it becomes, the game actually becomes a different genre almost. Like yeah. D&D is a really good example of that. D&D starts out as almost survival horror and then moves into competent adventurer and then into low-powered superhero or you know in like some of the spellcasters cases high-powered superheroes and actually the game actually shifts genres underneath the players and i it's hard to tell if that's intentional or not because that's kind of always been what dnd's like so uh, i don't on, know if that's like a legacy case, thing i'm pretty sure that is on some level intentional yeah i'm not i'm not gonna say it's good game design but uh I will say it is on some level intentional. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I think, it might be. I, I think they knew that from the start because, mm -hmm. like, starting off with the rules as it used to be, like, a wizard started with, like, 1d4 hit points. Mm -hmm. And you didn't even start with guaranteed maximum of that right. on your first level until relatively recently. So, yeah, they, they knew that some of the characters were starting the game with like one life right so um just to kind of play on this idea of the uh D, &D like imagine you're playtesting D, D or you're designing the playtest for D, &D um mm -hmm. and you're you're thinking that like there might be this different these different phases of the game how do you mm -hmm. design questions in your playtest material to figure out what that game feels like in these different stages like how would you how would you structure your questions when you're asking your playtesters what they experienced uh hard to know i mean for fifth edition we actually have an example of their playtest their playtests were public i mean not they, obviously they had internal playtests and stuff like that but they ran a bunch of public playtests and so that's i would actually recommend that as a resource for designers go and see what questions they ask and how people the, how the polls went that 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 may actually be useful to you if you're trying to set up a play test and you want to know some specific things. Um, that might be a good place to start, at least. No, um, I know the play test package was publicly available, but did they actually have questions that they were asking, or is that not, like on their forms? They they did they did they did they had they had uh, fairly lengthy questionnaires about a bunch of the material. So, um, I mean, I know because I answered some. So so. I mean, these were like thirty plus questions. Like they weren't they weren't short. 
um, and they weren't like easy. And but I a lot of times it was it was I had answers that didn't quite fit within their their rubric, and it was hard <laughs> to convey exactly what I felt was going wrong um, with with certain with certain bits of it, but. That's just going to be the case if you're not having a conversation, you know, if you're no survey answers where you can't directly talk to the person are going to be a hundred percent what that person's thinking. Cause usually it's, it, they're going to have other opinions that you can't account for or you can't predict. So it's very useful to actually be able to talk to them. Um, and it's even more useful, I think, to be able to watch them when they're playing because they won't, they won't tell you all the things they think are wrong with the game, but it's possible for you to see when, when they think something is wrong. They, the, either through because they become disengaged or um, they look confused or, and they don't want to say anything because they don't want to... They, they think it might be a dumb question. Um, it's, it's an opportunity for you as, as somebody, the designer and, and somebody running it to actually dig into um that thing and see if the player is actually confused or if they're just making a face because you're ugly it, it can also be a good idea to point out to your players what the concept of play testing is because a lot of people don't really understand the idea of it especially now that there's like a lot of early access games both in like video games and um, tabletop games which mm -hmm. come out sometimes before they should and sometimes after right like it can be really hard for people to understand that this is not finished there are problems with it if you don't understand something feel free to actually ask because it might be like well, I can't find it in the manual. That's because it's not in there. Right. As we totally forgot to add that, oops. Yep. Yeah, and that's useful when they're going through it and going like, uh, I don't see this. And you go, oh, oh, right. Shit. Okay. <laughs> I yeah, was thinking to myself about that, but I never actually wrote it. <laughs> yeah, it seems really obvious, but explain to your playtesters what playtesting is. Right. Because... It's not necessarily a given. Yeah. That's a good point. Good point. Yeah, I just want to say I am very grateful that I that my normal core group of players has no problem telling me this is stupid Kevor and I don't understand this. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's actually really that's handy. Yeah. yeah, and I think in playtesting, either as designers or players, it's valuable to understand that you might come to a point where it's not worth continuing. Um, mm -hmm. And that may be before you wanted it to, but oh yeah, it's worthwhile to just say, okay, like this, this is where we got. I, we're gonna take what I can from here, and just that's it. Yeah, yeah I had a playtest with some of you go that way, where yeah, it was I... like, oh, I realized this is all just, or not all, but mostly just not going to work. Let's just stop because there's no reason to continue going on. And it's, um, it's far from a failure. Like, if anyone... Oh, you learn something. No, yeah, yeah. you learn a lot. Yeah. yeah. And I, I found that, like, it's, it's tough when you're playtesting within your own friends group because often 
everyone has similar interests already. Like you're playing with people that already have sort of a, uh, they, they like a certain genre and now you're building a game that fits that genre or style. So it very much just kind of reinforces what's already, um, I don't know, existing or already working in your group. Um, and often that feedback that you get is very kind and very gentle. Um, and some of the best feedback that I've gotten were from strangers or from the internet, uh, yep. where people really don't care about you personally. They're looking at your game in terms of, is this something that I want or is this something that I'd play? Um, and I think you need to be kind of mentally prepared for getting feedback from playtesters that are... Yeah, um, it's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, the first time you drop something on the internet for feedback, you're going to like go cry. That's, that's probably what like, yep. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't, but that's that's not even a joke. Like, I, you don't feel good. No. It's yeah. True. No. I, I mean, I, I did when I dropped that quick start and it got shredded. Like, I was like, fuck, I just wasted two years. Like, <laughs> no. like, and they're right. That's the problem. Like, it's yeah. it's not like I can dismiss the critique that easily. They 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 it was terrible. It was a really bad problem and. Yeah, it yeah, hurts. You didn't but... waste two years. You you put that towards mm -hmm. being able to have something so that you can fix it. Like yes, absolutely. If you didn't do that first two years of work and didn't get it shredded, then you'd have to start over from totally from scratch without even the idea of what to do from that point onward. Exactly. Like what you learn from it is super useful in yeah. like creating stuff in the future yeah yes totally. it's it's also just super painful too because you i mean yes i mm -hmm. I, I completely agree with you because it, it wasn't a waste like i got a lot of things out of it but um it, it in the moment it felt like that you know uh and so i would caution designers that are putting their stuff out there for the first time that that that's just something unless you're no i'm gonna say pretty much everybody I, I'm not even I'm not even going to qualify it because pretty much everybody they, the first time they put something out is just going to be it's going to be crap and you yep. won't know it. It'll you'll you'll think like hey this is really good and somebody will go like hey you didn't even think about this very basic problem and you go uh yeah but I uh, 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 oh shit yep yep <laughs> yeah, yeah but uh, I, I just want to say that I've been a really weird vote compared to the rest of you because most of my game design is for specific people so if it works for them it's fine because i don't intend to publish anything but if right. i was trying to i would have to go approach things completely differently mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. but yeah i do yeah. i'm aware of these things i just a lot of what i have done is like direct it is directed towards the group i'm doing i'm running it for so it's a bit weird so i'm not sure how much i can actually say on this topic that's 100 percent relevant <laughs> Well, you, can, doing you can at least tell us about procedure uh, because that's going to be the same, even if the feedback is going to be radically not what most people would be looking for. And you're, you're designing towards a very specific audience. You, there's still a procedure in, in, and there's still a method that you employ when, when doing it, even if it's just talking to them and then reincorporating that feedback. So I wouldn't say you have nothing to say. Well, it's sort of the other half of the coin of playtesting like from designers is the playtesters and it's it's sort of like the most critical part of <laughs> of it all right like you yeah. need people to playtest yeah. yeah you certainly do before we get too far off of what 
Rob was saying, I'd like to expand on it just a little bit. Um, the harshest feedback that you get is usually the most useful, I found. Because, like, um, when people like something, you usually don't get very much useful out of them. It's usually like, I liked it. And it's like, oh, that's great. It's like, it's perfect. I like everything about it. And it's like, I know that's not true, unfortunately. I don't know what the problems are. You haven't told me right. what you like about it in particular. You haven't told me where the problems are, the flaws or anything. I can't use this information to make it better. When somebody's upset, though, they get really particular and specific about exactly what it is they don't like. Yeah, mm -hmm. and articulate. Oh, yeah. They'll, they'll go into a lot of detail. So if somebody doesn't like something, it's going to hurt your ego so bad. But mm -hmm. it's Listen. by far the most useful information that you can possibly yeah. get. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's actually, you know what Neil Gaiman said about writing? He said that if the audience tells you it's bad, they're almost always right. If they offer a specific fix, they're almost always wrong. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that has, I have definitely seen that happen. Like, you know, yep. even I've tried to implement stuff. Somebody's like, hey, if you try it like this. And I was like, oh, wow, that totally doesn't work at all. But <laughs> they, at least they were right about it being bad. Yeah, that's exactly it. And yeah. I remember some of the some of the worst feedback that i'd gotten like some of the harshest i was i received it and i was mad like i i was angry because i was like you totally didn't understand the concept of the game like you're you're just totally off your rocker and i disregarded it and that was a mistake but i put it away and then i came back to it like two or three weeks later and i tried to figure out like what is it about this person's suggestions that they felt didn't work in the game so it was that extra little step of like why is it that this person made these suggestions even though they didn't align with the game and it was pointing me towards things that were wrong like they they hit on something that i don't think even they realized in their comments and in their suggestions but it was something that was a problem fundamentally with the game and how i could fix it was not their solution but some other way so right yeah yeah. And you know what? If they don't understand the concept of the game, that's your fault. Yeah. yeah. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a, it's a hundred percent on you. It's not family. No, it's a hundred percent on you. Yes. I would say 90% on you, but there uh, can be things okay. that are yes, completely yeah. blatantly obvious. 99% of the population gets it. No problem. Then one person just, yeah. it goes completely over their head or their, assuming like a lot of things that are not there like it's yeah. not always 100 percent your fault but okay. a but good portion of it if you say most of the probably time, most yeah probably most of the time it will be but yeah. not always yeah. that's yeah and usually you can tell there usually are you can outliers tell if, yeah there are always outliers but usually you can tell if somebody's if you think about it for a second and you you step back and you step out of your ego, your ego for a moment and you go like, well, it, could this person be right? If you just ask that question. Yep. And then you look at it and go like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, they could be. Okay, shit. I got to go fix this. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just keep in I mind think... that it, it's good to try to idiot-proof things, but realize that you will never completely 100% idiot-proof yeah, it. No. You cannot do so. One thing I would say... Um, 
with regards to critique is understand where they're making critiques about um, your game that are helpful in moving forward and, and, and where they're making critiques about your specific design goals. Um, so if you have an intention for the game and they're critiquing that, they may not know it because they don't have your list of design goals with you. But as a, as a designer, you should know that what they have a problem with is fundamentally part of my game and that they, it's just not for them. Okay, uh, what I want to say about that is uh, if you're doing an early playtest, it's not unreasonable for you to uh, put your design goals on the top of your document. Yeah. To, the packages you hand out to the playtesters. And hopefully mm -hmm. by the end, your design goals should be obvious to people who read the book. But that's its own thing. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a really good point. Yeah, I really thought about it, but yeah. yeah, if you say, this is what I'm trying to accomplish, did I actually accomplish it? That gives them something to think about. Mm -hmm. I, I was going to bring that up. I, I think what helped me a lot in the design of my game and in the design of my playtest questions was having a document that was just design goals. And I just wrote down exactly what I intended to do with the game, why I was doing it. And then I got to ask questions that reflected that. So whether you put it up front and you say, this is my objective, did I meet this objective? Or you just kind of like seed some of those questions of, uh, do you feel like this is a game that you could pick up easily? And if that was one of your goals, then there you go. Um, and uh, I guess I'll, I'll contradict myself right away, but um, the way to design the questions that you ask also plays a big part in how you, like what, what you uh, get from that playtest experience. Um, and one of the pieces of advice I was given was, to try to structure things not as yes or no questions, like did I meet my design goals, but um, what was the like feeling you had, or what was the emotion, or when were you uh, when were you most engaged in the game, and not like did you like this one thing, or did you like this GM mechanic? It was broad, and it allowed them to be able to say the best thing about your game is X, and not I really didn't like this thing, um, and that helped just to give the the best possible feedback to receive. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. I I did a combination. Um, I did mine online, and um, I just threw it out there. And so I used Google. Uh, I can't even think of what the heck it's called. The Form, forms. forms. Yeah. 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 And so I did a ton of yes and no questions. Uh, but I did yes and no's with follow-up. Like, okay. uh, was there anything you found confusing? Like, right. what what was confusing? Um, did you think the play sheets were useful? Uh, and and so I had some very straightforward information that I wanted. Uh, because, you know, in a broad way, um, saying the play sheets weren't useful was enough for me to be like, you know, maybe they're just way off base. But... Also, it's good to know more about play sheets, but in handing it out there, I also wanted something relatively succinct that people would actually go through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I had, I also did what was the game's biggest strength, what was the game's biggest weakness, and uh, I think that helped me hit on things that I didn't know I was looking for. But speaking of things you 
don't know what you're looking for, another really useful thing to do in a play test is to watch yourself. And that's something that may not be that obvious, but if you are running a game and you forget a rule or gloss over something, pay attention to that because that's going to be, that's going to be a thing that other GMs watch out. So, so you may be that rule. If you forget a rule or you, you brush pie it, it may be that it's hard to remember or that it's unnecessary or that it's, it's overly complicated. Um, so it, it's a really good idea to pay attention to yourself as you're running a game. And if you ever like, if you ever house rule something on the spot, put that in your game. Like that's really important because you're, you're making, you're, you're coming up with a solution in the moment that works for that moment. And if you can systematize that, you're going to be a lot better off. That's a great you point. That house rules do like in that kind of situation, like if you're house rolling something on the spot, it's usually in relation to a specific situation. It mm-hmm. may not be something that's easily transferred to general situations that most people run into. That's true, but pay attention to it when you do it. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely pay attention to it. I'm just saying, yeah. just don't guaranteed add every single house roll because you will bloat out your game to ridiculous right. proportions. Well, but then you'll when you the next time you play it, you'll gloss over all that stuff. And you'll have the same problem, but it's 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 still a good thing to pay attention to. Oh yeah, yeah. So just hmm. wanted to make that point. Okay. Uh, the thing I wanted to move on to maybe is like asking. Okay, if let's say you put out a Google form or some sort of survey, or even just sit down and ask your play testers, what are the questions that you think generally we should be asking? Uh, I've heard like, what was the best thing about the game what was the worst thing about the game uh did you know did the rules generally make sense but what else should go in there i think i'll just um sort of qualify that within the context of my game it's easy to ask broad questions because you expect that if someone started it they finished it and so saying things like what was a you know a, the, your favorite part or least favorite um it's with the context of the whole game being played. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's sort of important to note because we may want to be more specific otherwise. Yeah. I think Kavoir had kind of the nail on the head with um, you You want to ask about what your design goals are. So if you're intending for your game to be a campaign game, then you want to ask questions about like what brings you back to playing that character or what brings you back to the setting. Um, like what, why were you engaged in this and want to come back or do you, because I think that's, if that's your objective, then you need to make sure that you're hitting on things that, um, drive someone to want to explore the campaign. Or if you're saying this is a one shot, um, how do I make sure that people are going to play this like quickly and, uh, enjoy their experience and have variety in their play experiences? and I think that's those are sort of the points that you want to focus your questions around, because um, that will that'll best direct what changes you need to make to hit those goals. Another good one is just to ask, what what could the game do better 
or what did you want to do that it wasn't able to provide for you? Because people are going to have things that they want out of a game. But it's not necessarily what the purpose of the game is. So it's helpful to think about what it is that they actually want. And sometimes the answer is they want a different game. Mm -hmm. Just be willing to accept that at some time. That they just aren't your target audience. Even if they happen to be playtesting it, they might simply not enjoy that type of game. So, okay, so ask questions specific to one's design goals. I think, yeah, but on top of that, one that's important is, uh, was there anything confusing? I mean, that's pretty broad, but I think it's always worth having it. Mm-hmm. Yep. I always, when I'm uh, doing stuff like that, I always like to ask, like, what did you feel? Uh, and that is an incredibly broad question, but something like that, I, I feel like often you get something interesting out of it um, because it's so broad, so they kind of can... It's it's almost like a uh, like a general question, like, ah, do you have any further comments? But it at least gives a starting off point, but also gives them, you know, gives them a space to go, oh, I, you know, I felt like this at this point, and... If that, and sometimes you want you know people to feel like X at Y, but often you don't. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, and I think for a lot of people that struggle with the designing fantasy heartbreakers, like I think Praxis Arcanum is probably a pretty solid fantasy heartbreaker. Um, <laughs> but if you if you wanted to have a different experience from the the staples in the industry like if you wanted to say mine is distinctly different from D&D then I think you want to say what does it make you feel that is different from D&D or what what play experience did it give you that was so unique and so um, irreplaceably your project that you couldn't find it anywhere else I think that's a great question to ask to really make sure that like if you if the answer to that question is not just I felt powerful monster slaying uh testosterone like that was the the feeling i got in the game then like maybe this is still sort of the the dnd-esque i kill monsters and that's what i do um so that actually brings up a good point as well as another thing to ask your play testers like what do you feel is the most unique thing about the game or at least are there unique aspects to it? Because if they can't think of anything, that might actually be a problem. Mm-hmm. Something worth... It, it, it kind of dovetails a little bit onto what you two just said, is um, asking something not about your game, but about their about them, like what is your gaming background um, that gives you context for their answers uh, or other questions that might give you a context for their answers. Mm. What games do you prefer playing? Um, stuff like that. And okay, so then building on that a little bit, should one move beyond that and go to 
you know, go beyond like gaming and go to personal experience, um, you know, potentially stuff like race or gender or uh, class or uh, things like that. Might that have an effect? Is that a question we should ask? And is that like, should you, I think it would be a good idea to play test with a diverse audience in general, you know, to test and do things with a diverse audience. Although honestly, the, a lot of people who play role playing games are pretty white. Um, but not to I, say don't, that I don't see that as particularly relevant. I mean, there's one, one is just who you have available, right? So you can't mm-hmm. go out and like, Hey, I'm short five Asians. I'm going to, I better go to the, <laughs> you know, go get some, like, that's just, that's kind of strange. You know, whoever is available, yeah, to test with the most diverse audience you can, and um, and not just, I don't, I don't, I don't think the shallow bits of diversity are actually all that worth exploring. But if you get them, great. But test for diversity. Ideally, you want an audience made up of people of different temperaments, so that they're, you know, you would like if you can, if your game can take an introvert and help them play in the same session with somebody who's very extroverted that's probably a good thing and and similarly if you have people of 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 different views that can actually give you radically different perspectives on whether or not the game is serving their interests that's a really good thing because that serves to broaden your audience so if if you can if you can manage it i mean you know if you're living in a small town in canada the act the access you have to a, a broad swath of ethnic backgrounds is probably quite limited uh thanks but maybe not what's thanks up? mr american <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, you know, i'm in, I'm in los angeles so i actually do have a i actually do have a fairly diverse group of play testers which is which is nice but it it's a luxury you know so yeah. i i would imagine mark has the opportunity to have as diverse of something yeah. you might see most um, diverse city in north america i think so yeah it's it's amazing which, actually which place Toronto. Toronto in the area. Oh, Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. yeah. Well, Los Angeles is pretty up there. I mean, no, it's true. I'm sure it is. I just yeah. it's underestimated how diverse Toronto actually is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here is not at all. That said, I mean, we have um, other abilities to look for diversity. Like there's everywhere in Canada, there's Indigenous peoples, and there are different Indigenous peoples. And like I make a point of sort of knowing that, you know, these are people that we can interact with. And Mm-hmm. Um, and and obviously there are people you can interact with, but um, taking a step and trying to find out if there are other gaming groups that you can interact with that might sort of encompass those people more is is valuable. I, I believe. Even, yeah, even online and Twitter, like Rob, mostly though that the most important thing is less things like race and gender. Like they do have some effect and such but the most important ones to focus on more than anything are what players actually find enjoyable like their personal uh, preferences for play style and such so if you have somebody who wants to go out and just murder everything and then somebody else who wants to uh, play like the stereotypical bard that lays with everything like Knowing that you have players that have completely different interests in what they're trying to get out of the game, 
yeah, that's actually kind of really important to keep in mind more than anything else, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess just to go back to race or indigenous groups or anything like that, I think striving to have them is valuable, but we definitely don't need to, you know, ask add that as part of our questions and say, hey, like, well, what are you type of thing? <laughs> that, right. That's not. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, 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 I don't see. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't I don't see what what I mean, you may want demographics if you're if you have a really big playtesting pool. But at this indie level, like, I don't know. I don't know how it would really help. Um, unless, unless you did something really insensitive in the game and then somebody pointed it out to you. But I would hope that you would know that before you put it in front of somebody. But maybe you don't. Who knows? Go, Kevlar. All right. Uh, people already said it, but yeah. Actually, this, that was the tone here, but I was just wanted to say, yeah, uh, if you're doing an online survey, maybe don't ask anything that sounds like that makes it sound like you're profiling them for ad space. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you are. Are you between the ages of 24 and 35? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> Either that or plus yeah. years old, depending on how you count it. Yes, exactly. No, nice. absolutely. Uh, we. Uh, I could see potentially some benefit if your game was specifically addressing certain topics. Like, yeah, um, I've, I've played games that were basically a, a reskinning of like Canadian racism when uh, uh, you had uh, uh, Canadian like colonization, like that like 1600s period, uh, and they just oh, had yeah. like the same conflicts of like the Métis and any LGBTQ communities. Uh, in that time period, and like mm -hmm. it'd probably be very good to have people from those groups that were playing the game and that could kind of give some insider feedback into what, um, like that, into how horrible uh, this shit was, <laughs> right? Exactly, or how how accurately the game portrays things. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that might be an opportunity that you'd want to make sure that you had um, like certain demographics covered, or at least sought out people from certain communities to like give feedback but absolutely um yeah I, th I think at that point if we're going into that type of game design if we're not actively um uh, pursuing uh collaboration with the groups involved uh it, we're probably really gonna miss like we're probably really gonna miss uh just overall in the game like i think there's an opportunity if if we're taking these uh sort of historical situations and making them into games, which is really cool, but I just think it's, yeah, you know, involve the people who are involved, uh, get 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 viewpoints. Absolutely, I would actually yeah. say even more so than that. Like if you're talking about like historical things hundred years ago, none of the people that were involved are alive today. Um, the best thing you could do at that point would not just be to ask people who have similar issues today, but actually get a hold of a historian like ask yeah, them yeah. like uh, a lot of the times like historians and such it's like it drives them nuts 
when they see like something that's like, oh yeah, this is historically accurate. And it's like, no, it's not. And right. if you give them the opportunity to um, actually look it over, a lot of the time they will be like, yes, give me just a moment to point out where everything is wrong. Yeah, they will email you back. Academic historians will totally email you back if you ask them a question. Right. Like, I, I guess I was considering um, cultural context. Obviously, there's a lot of situations that the people who are there aren't around anymore, but the culture still exists, and we can acknowledge that and, and oh. contact the people for cultural context. Yeah. Oh, yeah, not, not downplaying that, just mm-hmm. saying that the culture has changed drastically over several hundred years and the things that and like the people that are alive today for the most part do not actually know what uh the people had actually had to go through back then it's mostly uh relegated to just historians unfortunately because a lot of that culture has been destroyed which is unfortunate, but that's something you have to keep in mind. Yeah, but I don't think that's something we should give to the historians only to to dictate. No, not only. I'm just saying yeah. that pro- they probably know the most. But, yeah. yeah not, I, not... I mean, I, maybe that's too much of a topic to really go into a side on. I have feelings about it, though. I, I don't quite agree with you, but... Yeah, I'll, we could get into that later. Um, I think I'm going to probably agree with Jonathan on that, but we should move on. Um, I, one of the things that we were running up is talk, like looking at people's sheets. Um, and yeah. I know that often, like when I've seen playtests and stuff, often it's not really a sheet. You know, it's just, oh, you have a piece of paper um, that you've written stuff down on, or sometimes you have some semblance of a sheet. But I think that that would be an important part to look at as well, because that's your, your physical interaction with the game. Yes. Um, and what, and what you write down and what you write in um, is very important or, you know, what gets, what gets erased all the time and rewritten or, uh, you know, what you have to be doing regularly. Like, HP has to be changed all the time or something. And that is then, you know that that is then a constant motion of, inter- of or a place of interaction. And then you have to make sure that you actually want that to be, a, you know, you actually want somebody to be regularly changing their HP or changing their whatever. Um, so yeah. Rob, do you have any particular thoughts on this? Yeah, since I, I, I design character sheets for most games I play, not just the ones I create, um like i'm i'm it's often that a character sheet that comes stock with the game is woefully lacking um not 100% but often and i think that it re- is a result of the character sheet which as you said is the primary uh ui for the game it's it's the user interface most of the time they're not going to be reading the book most of the time they're going to be referring to the character sheet and so it behooves you to be as cognizant of that as you can and design the character sheet as much as you design your game. Because that's, that's the primary mode of interaction with your headspace. When, when the players are, need to find something quickly and they don't know where to look for it, that's a problem with your game. 
It's not a problem with your character sheet. It's actually a problem with your game. It makes your game slower. It makes your game feel more cumbersome. Um, so I would recommend to people that they design the character sheet as early as they can in the process. Like even if it's like I need four boxes to put stats, great. Design it. Um, as you add more stuff, you will come to prioritize certain things. And doing a character sheet will also show you places where you are dumping too much information on the players. And maybe you need to shorten things and, and refine them a bit more in your game. Like designing a character sheet and a game at the same time can show you flaws that you wouldn't notice until the playtest hits the table. And so if, if you try and make a character in your game and you're using your character sheet and there's not room for you to write something, that's indication that maybe the thing's too complicated or you have to reprioritize it or something else, but it, it can highlight a problem before it becomes a problem. So I, I would strongly recommend to people that are designing games to, to when they have mechanics together, put together a character sheet as fast as they can. Um, and it doesn't have to be pretty, but it, it needs to be at least functional and relative size should be something you look at at that point. Like how, how big are the actual spaces and numbers on the sheet going to be? Mm. I guess I should have also included with my, my introduction, uh, play sheets. And I know that, mm -hmm. I know that now that those are luckily being used a lot and are great. Um, but that would be an important part of yeah, play testing and, and yeah, having those sheets out in front of you. Um, and then Catrice, did you have something to say? Uh, two things that are, one's pretty quick, one's going to take a moment, but they're both directly related to the topic. So um, first one is keep in mind that when you're doing playtesting and designing for your game, you guaranteed will have to change something major, either removing it entirely or a complete and total overhaul of it. Like, you can't even predict what it is that's going to be changed. There's going to be something that you're going to build into your game, and it's going to be like, I think this is like the most incredible idea ever, and it's going to be horrible. It's going to fall apart at such a fundamental level that you're going to have to gut it entirely. And as you gain experience in game design, you'll be able to predict better which ones might need more work, but there's always going to be something that will blindside you. I've never had a game yet or run into a designer yet that hasn't been blindsided by something that was just completely outside of what they were expecting. Um, the second thing I was going to mention is don't get um, overly attached to your ideas because that's something that unfortunately a lot of designers do get stuck with as well. It's just kind of the thing like they double down on an idea that is not working. It's like, okay, well, maybe if I do it in a different way, or what if I change it, or what if I tweak this? And sometimes just the fundamental concept itself just doesn't work. Like, um, there's actually a small story I want to give for that which was 
back in oh god it would have been the 90s uh when blizzard entertainment was working on warcraft to of all things they had built up the entire gameplay was heavily revolving around this idea of these really huge slow moving catapults that would completely demolish the other team's base and basically turned almost into a tug of war where you'd capture the catapults, kill off their units, and then demolish their base with them. And they tried for months and months to make this work, and eventually they just had to come to accept that no matter what numbers they tweaked or what they did with it, it fundamentally was not fun. It was a really bad idea, and they had to scrap the idea and basically change the core premise of how the game worked. Sometimes you gotta do that. I am talking about letting ideas go. (laughs) I have no less than 12 uh, folders in my sort of game design folder for games, game ideas. (laughs) Yeah. Mm-hmm. just 12 just 12 yeah I, <laughs> I, I i was counting them actually it's 13 but I, I was counting them and i was like i was like oh shit i'm missing some i gotta make some new folders <laughs> yeah i mean i've got i mean i'm deep into the 15th version of ashes i mean like it's not even close to the same game it was when it started i mean when it yes. started i had this horrifically arcane system of like players take their weird points and actually put them on their character sheet in certain patterns to activate abilities. Nice. Like, holy shit, it was bad. It was really dumb. <laughs> but, I can see the concept and yeah, yeah. there's some tangible Like, hey, the field bumps. Yeah, but like, it's, it was, no. It was, oh, no, that no, 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 would no. be frustrating, yeah. Oh, no, no, it was bad. It was, it was bad. <laughs> so like that had to, that went early on, but that was like, that was like a core idea that led to a bunch of other ideas, but that idea itself, yeah, that was that had to go like right away. Um, it was pretty apparent that that was not going to work at all. Oh, yeah, the game I, yeah. Worked, you know, I was working on for this, and I ended up having to fundamentally change it, the, the structure of play due to feedback I got from this group. And I'm yeah. not going to say that that was a bad thing or not on any level. <laughs> no, but, yeah. you have to. It's yeah. just you have to be able to will be willing to let go of something that you are emotionally invested in sometimes it just sucks no matter how much you want it to be awesome it's not the getting there it's letting go <laughs> the the one last concept i was going to bring up was that i'd heard of this um playtesting technique that was more specifically for a single mechanic uh, than it was for like how everything integrates, uh, but it's the idea of playstorming, uh, and mm-hmm. I think it works well with a group of people that are, I guess, well versed in design, um, where you basically will play parts of the game until you come up to a mechanic that doesn't work anymore, or doesn't suit the game, and someone can say like, pause, like this doesn't work for me, like your initiative system sucks. Um, and then what you do is you replay that part of the game over and over again using different potential mechanics that might yes. suit the game. Um, and I don't know, I've, have you used it before, Rob? You seem to know about the topic. Yeah, I have. 
some, not not for Ashes, but for other things I played, I have actually gone through a design like that where it was like we all just sat around a table, started playing the game that somebody brought, and then we just like open it up to just just kit bashing it at that point, like grabbing different dice or like, hey, how about we try this mechanic? I mean, it, it was a much simpler game. It wasn't like a very in-depth RPG. Um, but I can I can see that process working a lot. I can I can see it working well if you have if you know exactly. Mm, no, I don't think you have to know exactly what your pain points are going to be beforehand, but it, it it might help because then you won't be like totally blindsided, and you might may be able to come up with a few ideas. Yeah. Um, or just having a few starting out, like hey, I've got two initiative systems. We're going to try both. Uh, yeah, I did that. Um, I did that in the last round of playtests. I actually, yeah. So that's a really good idea, yeah. especially for people who don't have necessarily like a team of dedicated game designers uh, around their table. Where if that's you had like five tough. or six ideas, even, and you just kind of said like half of these won't work, but, but let's try them all out and see what sticks. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably a good way of approaching it. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, and. Kevoir, is there something else you wanted to say? Okay, let's hope that there's no random noises in the background. I can't guarantee that. But okay, so let's see here. Um, basically, a lot of your design tests are going to be one-shots, and like that's just something you're going to have to live with. You're not going to get 40 people to playtest your campaign at once because you're going to want to change things before then. But as it's pretty obvious, one-shots like play differently than like actual proper game like campaigns. I mean, the one-shots are proper games. Anyone else there? No, I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but basically, it's something you need to keep in mind. Uh, like, be, make sure you test how your that your advancement feels right at some point is a big one that you don't get out of it. And also, uh, I guess I said that part earlier. The make don't necessarily start with level one characters all the time on every play test, and. Quit. And the other thing I want to bring out about that is if you intend your game to be playable as both a campaign and a one-shot, like a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games are, uh, make sure you have separate one-shot rules. Make sure you think about what you want to change for the one-shot rules that makes it different than standard character creation, and include that in your and include that in your game design document. Yeah, mm -hmm. I guess that was most of what I wanted to say. Any comments? <laughs> you got a lot of good stuff. That was a lot of important stuff shotgunned out really quick. Yep. Something to consider if you're a designer looking for playtesters, or if you have limited playtesters, which is pretty typical of people who don't know anyone who, uh, not don't know anyone, but don't have a following, um, is. I was talking to Luke Crane, and, and he said that, um, and I think it's based on a, a software testing, but basically if you have three groups tackle a, a problem, you'll get about 90% of the issues that exist. So anytime you throw something forward for playtesting, instead of exhausting all your playtesters, just take three of them, get it done, and then move 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 on from that issue uh just as a matter of not fatiguing playtesters especially yeah. when you might have a limited amount yeah i i my my core group at this point like i 
don't think I could at this point. So, so something funny happens when you have the same core group of playtesters is they make assumptions about what your game is like, and they could be wrong. Like they may not know what changed, or you know, they may think they have the, something correct when in fact you changed it, and uh, it, it that can become as big a problem as as anything else in, in a, while running a playtest. Like if your players are making assumptions and you go, oh well, no, 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 that's not the way it works anymore, and they go, oh well, I wouldn't have done this had I known that, and then you go. Oh, okay. Well, uh, all right. <laughs> but they didn't actually reread the rules. They just assumed, you know, that it was yeah. going to be like that. One thing you might want to actually keep in mind is to steal the idea that video games have of change logs. Yeah. Where it's like, if you're doing changes in to a new version, just write out a short description of everything that you change, just so that they can go through it and be like, oh, that's different. Oh, yeah, I want to see that change. Okay, great. That makes yep. more sense. Yep, yep. I actually started doing that for that exact reason because my group of playtesters would be like, I don't know, you know, <laughs> I, they don't know what changed, obviously. And so it's, it's, just, it's very helpful. If you have the same core group, if you're, if, you have, if you're lucky enough to have access to like, you know, three to five people that are willing to interact with the worst you have to offer, then do them a favor and, and at least give them a roadmap. One last thing that I want to mention was just um, what Cavoir had actually mentioned about like uh, if your game is a one shot or a multi game campaign kind of setup. Mm -hmm. um, just make sure you actually think about that when you're designing your game as well, because like a lot of people actually don't consider whether it's going to be played in both ways or just one or the other, which is a little odd. It seems it's one of those things that it just seems so obvious that you usually don't think about it. Mm -hmm. Like in my case, I know from the start that my game was not ever going to do one shots really. I don't know if you even could, and I don't think it's really it would really capture the purpose of the game. So, yeah, I, I don't think I have to worry about that. But, yeah, it's something that I think each designer should think about on their own. Hmm. Yeah, and if you're going to have a campaign system, at least give the GM a campaign system. Don't, don't leave it up to them uh, entirely. Like, give them something to, to use. Give them tools. Don't... A lot of playtests, or a lot of, not even playtests, a lot of Games that claim to be feature complete don't have anything for the GMs to to hang their hat on, uh, and it's it's a real problem. Problem. Because what do you, you mean by hang your hat on in this case? I like um, you just give the GM a list of monsters, mm -hmm. for example, oh. and you don't contextualize them. You don't tell them how to, you know, you don't you don't present a vision for how they integrate into the world you're offering. Um, you give the GM like, oh, there these factions exist, and then you have no functional way for the GM to include them in the game, besides the fact that they're in the world, and you just leave it up to them. Like you have a you had a vision, hopefully, for what these factions were going to do in your setting. So give the GM something to do with them, 
you know, don't just, don't just place them there and then expect the GM to do all. I mean, one of the things they're paying you for is to do that work. Um, Integrate your stuff, you know, let, let them, let them have as much or as little as a world as they want. But if they want something out of your game, that's in your world, um, create, create something for them to, to, What's the word here? I'm, I'm looking. It's, it's uh, give them some purchase on the setting and on give your them mechanics. I mean, you can watch on to the footholds. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you have if you have factions in your game, but no meaningful way to interact with them, the players are going to ignore them. You know, and if you're the GM and you're putting factions in your game and you want the players to interact with them, but they don't have any meaningful way to do that because the game designer didn't really include any way for them to do it, then why should they care? You know, uh, you have to create incentives, um, even in playtesting. I mean, that's one of the things you're testing for, hopefully, is if you have your incentives aligned properly. So, yeah. Yeah, all right. Cool. <laughs> cool, man. Cool, man. Yeah. Um, tubular. Mm. All right. Well, I think actually we can call it a night. Remember, listeners, it's always night when you're listening to Flow Four. Um, but we all look better in the dark. Yes, especially <laughs> me. Except me, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, it dear. helps because, I mean, this is probably going to put you to sleep anyway. <laughs> We're so confident. <laughs> no, no, I'm just being a realist. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, listeners. And uh, we'll see you um, whenever, dude. I don't know. We don't have like, a schedule. <laughs> we'll see you whenever. Whatever, whatever. I'll see you outside your bedroom window. We'll see you when the when the stars align properly again. <laughs> 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 <laughs>